Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsperse.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> Here we go. Good evening. Good evening. And here we are again, guys. Uh, Brendan, how have you been? Uh, yeah, uh, good. Uh, lots of um, interesting stuff. I learned a lot about mushrooms last Friday. So, yeah, Ooh. that was the uh, so interesting herbal mushroom stuff. So, that's, sure. that's what it was all about. Is that Very called nice. a risotto? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not, we're not without rice. <laughs> <laughs> I did, a, I did a mushroom foraging course last year and uh, there was about 20 people on us up in the Devil's Glen, it's called, it's a famous enough woods where we are, very old woods and lots of cool mushrooms about the place. And the guy was so interesting, but I think there was only about two Irish people on the course and a load of Eastern European, uh, Polish, Lithuanian people, two lads I knew that I used to work with. And uh, it's like, they are just mad for foraging. And yeah. they just knew exactly mm. what they're talking about. They were barely listening to your man. They just said, roughly, where do we go? And off they went. They were picking up all sorts of things. But they were picking up fly agaric, uh, which is uh, that red pulse tool with the white yeah. spots on it. And it's yeah. in all the fairy tales because that's the sort of stuff you need to eat to think of the stories that most fairy tales are about. And that's a fact. That's, that's why they have these magic type mushrooms. In Let's the, not advocate in... that people are going to start taking fly uh, agaric. Yeah, no, uh, we're definitely uh, not. <laughs> home folk. But these guys were using it as, as anti-inflammatory, pain relief, that kind of thing. Now, he was saying he was soaking it in vodka for eight. I was thinking, are you just going on a lad's night out and taking a lot of agaric and eating vodka or drinking vodka? But they swear by it. They use it as a rubbing for a salve on his shoulders and stuff. And anyway, very, very interesting. So, yeah, love a bit of mushrooms. It's amazing. In, in, in Europe, apparently, a if you're a mycologist, you are revered to the heavens. Whereas if, in, if, if, if you say to somebody in the UK, I'm a mycologist, they'll say, sorry, what have you trodden in? Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a completely or, Is that a really awful thing to have to look at people's manky feet yeah. every day? Yeah, or their bums, <laughs> yeah, it's real. Oh, yeah, I love a bit of mushroom. Oh, some great yeah. stuff on, uh, just even honey fungus, looking at, you oh, know, yeah. the, you know uh, what's going on with that and how that works as a medicine, so amarilla you know, in the uh, uh, the medicine world and just it, and you don't believe just how big these things can be underground. You know, we're seeing these fruiting mm -hmm. bodies and just, I think the largest one in America, yeah. it's like 350 tons yeah. in weight. Yes. It's right the largest living yeah. organism on Earth. Yeah. And the largest thing on earth. And the, there's a, guys, for anybody that's interested in this mushroom stuff, there is an unbelievable book called Entangled Life, uh, written and read by this uh, English guy with this cool accent. And you've, re you've just got to listen to it. Don't buy it to read, buy it to listen to it on, a, on Audible. Nick, you must have put me onto it. Entangled Earth it is. Um, so uh, life, just a, yeah. but not Entangled Life, okay. Uh, just phenomenal insight into the whole. That's funny fungus in Oregon. It thinks in decades and centuries because it's there so long 
that it wants to engineer the landscape. So it says, if I grow this way and feed these animals or pests, I'll attract this, and these plants will grow, these trees will grow and rot, and I'll get different things. So it's thinking in completely different timescales than we are. And uh, I just thought that was just a fascinating concept, that the whole thing is responsive, it moves, it communicates, but yet with no nuclei. And it's like, uh, oh, that's bloody hell. I love the so this, this, Just to give him a shout-out, because this is who I went to see um, speak about mushrooms, so you can see that. That's his, his book, Martin so it's Powell. Martin Powell, yeah. okay, um, you know, really, really good. That's another another book. Cool. Five minutes in, two books down, yeah. there's plenty just more thought, to come. Just so this mycology business, you know, the, 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 the big, the big you know, thing is the biggest thing on earth, yeah? It makes yeah. A, a blue whale look like a mouse. Yeah. It's yeah. so, so, yeah. so, so big. And if you stimulate it at one end, you will get responses at the other, a little bit like the whole, you know, when you twist a, 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 neural a electron at one neural side of the universe, you will get a corresponding twist with yeah. another, you know, that, that, that uh, convergence kind yeah. of thing. And also what's really interesting with um, Merlin Sheldrake, he says, we have been raised thinking, I know what a dog is because it starts, you know, starts at a nose and ends at the end of the tail and four feet and what have you. But when it comes to plants, there's this whole idea of where does the plant stop and the mycology start because they're so intertwined. You could say that a forest is actually one enormous organism. And you've got kind of tree-ish things above and then you've got mycological things below. But you, you, yeah. you can't find where one starts and one stops. Completely mind-blown because modern science, tell me you want to shut up, but modern science says, well, this is this and this is this and this is this. But actually, when you really, really look at it closely, it's not as black and white as that. Yeah. Uh, we never knew how to look at us. We never knew how to measure us. And so we never knew there was a worldwide web between plants. One plant gets injured and is let, letting other plants know. Other plants will adapt their chemicals. If, 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 even if they're not injured, they're uh, on the basis that somebody else it knows got injured. I mean, how could you even yeah. believe that was possible 50 years ago? No, they're even teaching kids about this now. So the BBC yeah. did a little video on the wood wide web, which is effectively how trees communicate with their saplings to oh, give amazing. them nutrients through that mycelium um, or to kill off, you know, and drain nutrients from other trees that are trying to get in on their action. Uh, amazing, oh, that's amazing, isn't it? Crazy. It's, uh, it's crazy. Massive, yeah, massive. very, very interesting. The last little bit, there's a yeast product for dogs called Dermacin, made by these tech scientists. And Dermacin is unbelievable. It's made on this um, yeast. It's based on yeast, okay? And what these tech scientists, they were looking at the roots of plants that were growing in the soil, and they said, these are little moist, nutritious little things. How come no fungus ever eat them and rot them? And that's because all plants in the world house this little single-celled parasitic yeast outside us. And it feeds the yeast, and the yeast sits there and eats and, and, and is happy enough. But if any fungus tries or any mold tries to attack the roots, the single cell parasitic yeast attacks the fungus. So there's a tiny little millimeter of empty space around every root. So it allows the root to persist in this, in this heavily kind of controlled uh, mold environment. And so the Czech scientists said, wow, a parasitic yeast, that's pretty cool. So they took it out and they grow it in their culture. And they put it as a topical ointment on top of dogs with terrible yeast conditions. And it is unbelievably effective. I called out four or five. They gave me six or seven samples, and I tried it out. I have nothing to do with this company, by the way, guys. But uh, I tried it out on six or seven terrible dogs, and like half of them saw an instant remarkable improvement for other drugs that failed. So 
It's called Dermison, and the website is just worth a read. So how they found this yeast, how they use it, highly patented product, very, very cool. If you're still suffering a stubborn yeast infection, you've tried everything else, it's worth the money, expensive to ship in. How do you spell it? D-E-R-M-A-S-I-N, Dermison Oil. It's not the name of the company, but it's the name of the product that they make. But their company's website is just so interesting. It reads like a, like a fungus book. Um, so, so guys, listen, what are we talking about today? No doubt you, we have a billion messages uh, and questions. How, who's feeling what to, to start off? Yeah, please do shout and we'll do a few uh, 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 from you guys and, and we'll try and get through as many as possible. So I tell you what, guys, let's try and do as many as we can and not yeah. be ranting on. There's he yeah. who's just been ranting on about. Yeah. yeah. First one, very quickly, is somebody very interesting um, from the States. That she, uh, she has been following us for, for, for a while. And she said, is it dangerous to feed raw eggs? And if so should we cook them? How does that fit in with the, with the raw food paradigm? And that's really, and I asked these guys, I, I had a thought, but I would like to check these things, keep up with, with, keep up to date. And I've asked a few people around the world as to where they are on this thing. So uh, uh, the conclusion, therefore, just to keep it brief, because if we could talk about this for five minutes, was that in humans, if you feed a raw egg, you will get about 50% absorption of the albumin. But if you cook it, lightly cook it, that will go up to about 91%. However, that is with uh, an omnivore, okay? But we're not dealing with an omnivore. We're dealing with a carnivore, and they may be able to squeeze a lot more absorption out of that protein. I think this is kind of work in progress for me in that we know what, what, what raw versus uh, cooked egg is like for human but what about the dogs wouldn't that be fascinating yeah. a, and, and don't we also have this argument and i know uh connor's going to talk he's done a little article for those of you yeah. guys on patreon join patreon and you'll be able to see his article on eggs uh but i had a because yeah, when in that discussion my mind was sort of like going well so i understand there's loads of people talk about increased absorption if you lightly cook food uh, why aren't we advocating lightly cooked food? Uh, and eggs obviously fall into that in this study that, that's been done. But we've then got to think about, well, how does that change things? Is that good enough? Is it good enough for assimilation of that food? Or is it just good enough to increase the energy output of that food? Or you know, there's lots of different factors, because I think one of the biggest things that I've looked back at some of those messages, and they looked at what the energy output of those foods were when mm. you digest them, rather than actually your ability to assimilate the products within it into your system. And there is a difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, people say, well, we did so much better as humans because we got so much more energy out of our food through cooking it. Um, you know, is that what, you know, really turned us around from the old hunter-gatherers and stuff? We've seen health issues with cooking foods, with processing foods. Yeah. Is there, you know, real benefits in the long term of lightly cooking eggs, soft boiling them under 100 degrees C? I'm not going to mention anything more. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Then, yeah. Just from a point of view. Guys, I've got to jump in there. I'm just, at the moment, I'm just reading uh, uh, Trappian by Harari, which if you're interested in, in, in the evolution of, of human species, yeah, it's amazing, amazing, amazing. A must read. He is saying that the biggest fraud ever 
ever perpetrated on the human race was when we became farmers. We were healthy and happy, and when we were hunter-gatherers, we became less healthy. Uh, we, we shortened because of malnutrition. We got more energy, which meant we could reproduce, which meant Mother Nature was very happy, but we were less healthy. Um, so I think that Brendan's got a massive point there. Just because you're taking in more energy because it's more bioavailable doesn't mean you're more healthy. So the plot thickens with regard to eggs. But in the short term, lightly boiled eggs, where the yolk is still runny, seems to be the place to be. That's where yeah. all the fats are, because we've got a yeah, difference yeah. between protein fat. and fats as well. Because, you know, we've talked a lot about fats in the past. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're super conscious of making sure they're in the best bioavailable form. Um, uh, I think we said that eggs at that time were seemed to be a really good package for yeah. our omega-3s yeah. and 6s. Um, but we didn't know how much effect lightly cooking, not high temperatures, yeah. as Connor pointed out quite rightly to me, you know, we're not talking... You know, getting it above 60 degrees if it's going to be lightly boiled um, yeah. in the yolk. And um, we're not going to get the Maillard reactions that he was talking about, 120 degrees. Is that right, Connor? Yeah, so I think Something over 120 for a little bit of time. And you get this Maillard reaction where protein and sugar bond and cross-link. And you get that hard-to-digest bit of steak. Damn, I overcooked my steak. And, you know, uh, finding undigested steak in J.R.'s gut, that's all that's what that was about. But uh, also, when the egg turns from clear to white, you're looking at a Maillard reaction happening. That's, that's the proteins bonding together. And then you would have thought, if you allow that to progress, if you cook that at high heat, that becomes very hard to digest. So an overcooked egg is hard to digest. But Nick was spot on with the, with the figures there. Uh, 50% um, digestibility in humans, up to 90% in, uh, when you lightly cook it. And it's the same in dogs. There's not a big difference. You would think that dogs have a huge different processing ability to humans. But when it comes to comparing uh, meat and chicken, there are only like um, maybe like say humans can get 70% of the chicken breast, dogs can get 75 or 80% versus 85. Not dramatic differences, big difference of fish from 70 to 90% with dogs. But with eggs, it's more quite similar. The cooking thing is interesting because uh, Becker had just done a bit there and she wouldn't put it out unless she had done her bit of research and she's one boiling eggs. And so we thought, okay, it, it makes uh, the protein easier to digest. So you get a bit more protein. There's about six grams of protein in an egg. And so if the difference between 50 and 90% digestibility, it's the difference between six, you know, three and six grams of, of proteins. And it's a bit of a difference if you wanted to save the protein. But then Bren was saying, but does it denature other things? Does it affect fat? Does it oxidize fat? And fat hates being cooked. Uh, some fats take it a lot better than others. And it turns out the fat in an egg doesn't mind too much uh, the big problem with cooking the fat, which is the other half of the egg, six grams of protein, five grams of fat, give or take. Um, so we do want to keep that in good nick, but it turns out cooking the fat in an egg at the low temperature, Bren was saying, isn't too stressful. So 100 degrees water, the egg gets to about 70 degrees, 80 degrees, whatever. And uh, that's not too bad. If you cook it at a higher temperature, the, the, particularly the cholesterol turns nasty. It forms this thing called oxysterols, which I never uh, knew of before. And that's potentially bad with eggs, but not with a lightly boiled egg. The only other thing that it don't can scramble them, don't, don't scramble them. Yeah. But uh, the yeah. only other thing is vitamin loss, which nobody has talked about. And there is definitely vitamin loss in cooked eggs. One study found that cooking eggs reduced their vitamin A content by twenty percent, not a whole lot. Another found uh, an eighteen percent loss of vitamin D, not the end of the world. And another found it reduced their antioxidant concentration by six to eighteen percent. Only tiny drops in the grand scheme of things. So, like. 
it, it does become that way off that you kind of say, well, am I looking for the protein from this egg or the nutrients? And am I overthinking it? Uh, so it, it, it really depends. Eggs are just incredibly nutritious. I prefer the fresh backside of things. I like my dog just gets so much protein, so much amino acids that I'm not after an egg for the for the amino acids and the, 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 the stuff that's in there. I'm actually after for the cool yolk and all the cool vitamins that are in there. So um, the cooking, the, the light bit of cooking kills, destroys two things in the egg, and it, a tryptin inhibitor, so you can't digest protein. Uh, so the light cooking kills that, and also avidin, which, uh, which takes the biotin out of the egg. There's pros and cons of it, but they're, they're kind of minute, and it depends on what you're after. And I'm after a nice fresh yolk. I love fresh fat. So that's where I am on the on And there the is an corn. environmental question here, because if you're cooking, you're using probably a fuel to heat up the water to boil the eggs. On a green yeah. aspect, I don't think it's a good part. thing to be cooking your eggs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, what about the quality of the protein? Do you think because uh, proteins don't like heat, they will denature because of the, 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 the sulfide bonds and what have you, you may absorb more mass of protein, yeah. but what about the quality of that protein? I just think Mother Nature doesn't usually get it wrong. And if she's been offering dogs raw eggs for 45 million years, I think that there's probably the net balance is going to help things simplistically than soft boil. Is that yeah, about I, where, we are, where we're at so far? There's nothing else to do and an old soft boiled egg is, is your thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I am not, I've got two kids and I'm not thinking about soft boiling and these eggs. Like it's totally, it's totally up to yourself. I mean, there's pros and cons. Nobody really knows. The energy thing is very interesting. They did a great study on on snakes, and they found that cooked food they get get ten percent more energy out of cooked food because if if you lightly cook it, you you slightly break down the bonds, you unboil the protein and lay it out a bit, and it makes it easier to digest. So therefore, your body uses less energy to uh, to get the job done. So that's the, probably the energy difference. That you're, it's, you it's easier. Well, I don't know. More, no, more nutrition. You change yeah, the protein structure enough that the body can't assimilate that protein. All it okay. can do is to break it into creating energy. So, perhaps, yeah, you know, perhaps. it chops off the nitrogen, yeah. uh, puts it through a pyruvate pathway, and you release yeah. you know, the carbons okay. and the amino acids. You, effectively, what you're doing is just using it as a sugar. I mean, it even drives up insulin when you give cooked protein. Yeah, you know, that's true. the point. Yeah. So, yeah. You've got to understand that, yeah, it comes back to that argument. Yeah. More energy, more nutrition. Yeah. Really dig down into those papers as to what yeah. they're talking about. Are they talking about assimilation of protein or energy? I think that's yeah, a that's really a, that's fine a, that's point. point. And I wonder, I think the denature of protein happens up at the higher levels. I believe it happens up at the Maillard reaction type level, 120 degrees, where you really insult the protein, ultra processing. Uh, kibble, for example, is a perfect example. Canned food, which is 110 for 30 minutes, but still. Uh, so it's really denaturing the protein. I think makes it uh, hard to digest. It makes it hard to assimilate. I wonder, would 70, 80 degrees do that to a protein? I'd love to know if there's any chemist out there that could answer that question, guys. We would love to know the answer. So where are you on the cooked or raw? Where are we? I'm right in the middle now. I was actually, yeah, cooking. Now I'm, now I'm back to it. Uh, do you know what? This just goes to show to all of those guys out there watching us, we can talk about anything for over 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we said that we were going to crack through these questions, pardon yeah. the pun. So, <laughs> oh. 
guys, I've got a question here. It's a slightly eggy question from Harry Pollitt. He says, why does my nine-year-old poodle get acid reflux after raw egg? Never used to. The plot thickens. Could it be too much fat? Poached egg the glorious, which I presume he, she means that poached eggs don't do it. I'd say it's a fat thing myself because yeah. a raw yeah. egg is going to be pure, honest God fat in the yolk, whereas yeah. when you cook it, you're maybe going to change maybe the Maybe your dog just doesn't like the feel of it sliding down the throat into the stomach and it turns yeah. them into a bit of... It does anyway. feel disgusting. It does feel disgusting <laughs> raw egg. Anyway, so we were, there we, we go. We were supposed to do about uh, like a couple of minutes on each question and we managed to fill up 15 minutes on that one. Yeah. <laughs> we, just, we cannot do it. enough about eggs. This is why this FAQ is never going to end. We're going to be doing this when we're all in grey. Yeah, we are. But, um, um, I, I did a post today on... Um, uh, by the way, we are on Patreon, guys. Patreon.com forward slash Medic. And any of the questions that come into Patreon, they're the ones we're trying to address. So thank you to our patrons that give us the price of a cup of tea or coffee per month. It really, really helps our side. Uh, and so thanks. That's on Patreon.com. So this is where we're getting our questions from. Yeah. But if I could, could just we, veer could we... Touch, yeah. I think we've got to touch on James. Jane Isbeth, uh, I oh, think yeah. you're listening yeah. out there. I've seen your name crop up. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a few people that have asked about this uh, for um, incontinence in their old uh, dogs, um, male dogs, uh, particularly because we did concentrate a little bit on female dogs with the neutering. Um, I think if we can maybe touch on male dogs. Um, I hope you don't mind, Jane. I think you wrote down quite a lot of your information on one of the Facebook posts, so we're not really repeating anything that's too private, I don't think. So uh, if you would just, Nick, maybe have a little bit of uh, an understanding. So this is an old dog, neutered late because of recurrent um, UTIs or urinary tract inflammation, possibly. Male dog, I think. Male yeah. dog, yeah. And they are now left post-neutering with some residual incontinence. What do you think? Okay, I think that the nerve needs just a little bit of sprucing up. Maybe the endocrine system needs a little bit of sprucing up. So I'd be looking at acupuncture, osteopathy, chiropractic, uh, to make sure that, that the nervous system is zinging, simply speaking. Uh, from an endocrine point of view, if he's been neutered, he's going to be missing his, his testosterone. So um, we can start looking at, there are some herbs that we can, uh, look at down that line, but also um, if I am presented with um, bitches or dogs who have been neutered and have never been well since, then you can get canine testicle, canine ovary, and that can be a very useful way. Um, Brent, how about you? What, what, do you, what do you? I've stolen your glory now because those are the obvious things. Any? Uh, well, I always look at these for the older, the older boys. I mean. Certainly got to understand, you know, if they've had hormone drive, you know, what's gone on with their testes? Are they normal, abnormal? If there's any lumps or bumps, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Tolly cells uh, release a lot of estrogens into the system as well. So, you know, you're withdrawing that estrogen. Um, that also, you have some drivers for the prostate enlargement. Um, a little bit like a growth factor, you can get a benign hyperplasia uh, of the prostate. Um, sometimes even get prostatic cysts. And if you neutering is often quoted as a resolution for that drive, you know, and, and will allow the prostate to shrink back, but it can leave some dogs effectively with damage to their what we call the um, 
sphincter that's at the exit to the bladder. And if you've got damage to that because of a really swollen prostate, sometimes they are left without being able to close that properly. Always, always, always watch out for that sphincter is really important in not getting infection or bacteria coming up the urethra back into the bladder. So if there's any signs of dribbling, et cetera, keep checking their uh, urine so that we're making sure they're not picking up urine tract infections because that is no longer sealing the bladder off properly. Because um, that could also lead to further irritation of the bladder wall. We talked about a great product. I think Nutrivet do, uh, VetPro do the same one. Whether to use propylene or not, um, side effects of propylene, I would definitely say are low. Too much can make some dogs faint. So you talked about hormones, um, and there is that element of treating that sphincter to, to try and improve the strength of that. With nerves, with acupuncture, uh, definitely use that. Um, I've used some remedies certainly for these incontinence cases, uh, if they've got really strong smelling urine, um, strangely enough, a remedy made out of benzoic acid, uh, it's like horse urine strength stuff um, that they uh, smell like, uh, can be really useful alongside a bit of pulsatilla, even in a main male dog. Um, but those are a couple of things to look at. Definitely, definitely check that the back's okay, the nerves are okay. Um, you know, and if there is a nerve problem, opium, can also be a really useful remedy for those bladder incontinence. Yeah. Yeah. So, and for old dogs, very good. The, the Chinese are very keen on ginseng for 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 increasing your yang energy, which is that male energy. So that mm. can be very useful. Well, you've you got some questions on uh, yeah. testing. I think this that's is, really important. Okay, let's let's fly through these. I've got three three important ones. Okay, so we mentioned uh, vaccinating. Uh, did a thing on fighter test last. I cannot believe still today, in 2022, that a Chihuahua and a Great Dane get the same size vaccination. Uh, and by vaccination, I mean booster. I'm not sure if it's the same for puppy shots. The very first question is, I believe that adult dogs are giving the same vaccine dose from Chihuahua 1 kilo to 50 kilo Great Dane. Is that true? Yes. Oh, my God. Is there a difference? First question. Is there a difference between puppy shots? Do you do different size puppy shots? No. Nope. Why don't you do different size puppy shots? Because it costs... The manufacturer, it would cost. To Come on, please tell me there's something else in that. No, no, no. I think that's it because even in humans, they only just started doing kind of pint-sized, well, small half. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, small size. So even in humans, they've only just gone there in this state. So this Whoa. is we're, we're in the dark ages with this stuff. Whoa, yeah. I'm shocked. Okay, so yeah. people won't be happy to hear that because they rightly believe that. There's two studies. I shared two studies. They're both from the 2000s. And they said uh, more et al was, was the most important one. And he's found that the smaller dogs suffer vaccine side effects way more, particularly from 7 and 1, and particularly if you use multiple doses in one veterinary visit. So that was a really interesting study. Not a massive difference, but like double the amount of larger dogs. And surely that's because you've got a certain amount of the juvenile in that vaccine. It's not so much the live or dead vaccine particles, I think, that people are worried about. It's the juvenile, the thing that's used to stimulate the immune system into action, the beehive, like this cell, this mercury-based stuff that I believe is in rabies vaccines. Question two, do they still use mercury in rabies vaccines? I think in some of them they do. Brendan, you, you'd know that better than me, but I think um, So, yeah, I'm not going to be an apologist for all of the vaccinologists out there that are making vaccines because there are a lot of bad things that they stick into some of them. Um, and I think a lot of them are changing. So, but they... Good. 
you know, within the adjuvants, certainly the mercury salt stuff in the thiamersal is all about killing any bacteria in leptospirosis um, and killing off the virus as much as they can. They do try and wash it down, you know, um, so strangely, they put it in, kill the stuff off, and then try and wash it clean. Um, that's like, you know, breaking a fluorescent tube in the room and hoping you can sweep it all up and there'll be no mercury left. Um, I think, you know, the likelihood of you doing that is is still quite low. Um, yeah. So, you know, but gone other days. I, you know, I always I always chuckle to myself and it makes me realize why I'm so mad because we used to play with mercury on the school desk. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, make manometers out of them to, to check the pressure that you could create by blowing through the tubes that had had the mercury poured in. Um, oh, and, <laughs> whoa. He said, blow, don't stop. Blow. Oh. <laughs> wow. see, oh, see how the conversation descends as soon as he starts thinking about blow. I was stuck. To... <laughs> I have, to, I have to my... give you guys, just to give you an idea of how the vaccine manufacturers, they actually know that this stuff is really, really not healthy for any live mammalian tissue. Mm. In the West, they don't use, generally speaking, I'm talking 99% of vaccines do not contain any of this mercury-based biomersal, whereas when they go to, uh, to supposedly third world countries, on multi-dose vaccines, i.e. you keep pulling a vaccine out of the one large pot of vaccine to save money, they will use biomersal when they're not dealing with when Western consumers who might be able to say, you know, start a, a, a trial, might go to law and do them. So that's pretty scary. The real Anthony Fauci, if you really want to be terrified by Vaccine, that is a book that is massively enlightening. Yeah. Don't read it if you're not feeling strong. Yeah. Um, before we get kicked off yeah, YouTube or Facebook, wherever we are, we need to bring it back <laughs> and we need to say, um, what if Titer, uh, Nick, what if Titer shows low antibody? So when they, a, a blood titer, for anybody that doesn't know, most of you guys know, a blood titer, instead of a vaccine or a booster at a year, a shot in the dark, blood titer just simply means to measure measure the blood and see, are the antibodies from the puppy's vaccinations, like when you adequately vaccinated this puppy for his virus, there's adequately uh, vac uh, vaccines for bacteria wear off, your leptospirosis, that's recommended every year, if your vet believes the risk of the, the jab is, is worth it. Uh, so but you measure the blood, but sometimes you're not going to find lack of antibodies. Sometimes you're going to find book of all that antibodies, so a figure of one instead of 10 or whatever. What does that mean for the animal? Does that mean that the vet is should revaccinate, or is this whole is the memory cells not a play as it was with this whole natural immunity to COVID and that kind of thing? Brent, yeah. do you want to have a go at that? I've just had a little rant, yeah. so you can. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Right. So, so we've done um, vaccine titers, the antibody um, uh, titers, which neutralize antibody for the last 25 years plus as a practice. You know, we've got lots of experience over uh, doing those, you know, sending them off to Glasgow or indeed to. Biobest in Edinburgh and getting a true titer became really expensive. It is much more expensive to do that than a vaccine. Um, did it for years. Uh, we've got loads of data about how the exposure of those in our local area, I mean, we used to do them countrywide as well, but you know, we could look at postcodes which were uh, you know, effectively getting wild type vaccines. So the, the virus was out in the wild, 
So they'd been protected. They were going out there. We were practically checking on, high testing them. Their levels were at a reasonable level. Next year, you'd suddenly find that there were 22,000 instead of you know the 256 or thereabouts that they'd normally get on a um, a standard um, virus neutralizing titer. Now, that shows wild type vaccination because a normal vaccine might raise you to just sub 10,000. It would never get you up uh, above that. Um, and so you'd see those. So it's really useful to know what active viruses were out there affecting our sort of populations. And even my own dog, you know, uh, got exposed to um, infectious hepatitis a couple of times, uh, but produced a huge amount of antibodies uh, in response to that. Now, those are cases where if you can monitor and get a more of a movie picture of how your dog's immune system is varying, then actually it gives you a much better idea of if that low means they're truly low, or does it mean that they're just not getting re-exposure? And unfortunately, the testing for factory checks is a one to five scale, okay? It's literally you know, much shorter. It's looking quantitatively at your um, amount of antibodies. It's not looking at qualitatively of how strong the bond is with um, your virus. Uh, so it's more about, is there enough quantity being produced out there? And if you find that two of the three things that you're testing for are relatively high, so parvo and infectious hepatitis, but distemper is relatively low, maybe low, but not negative. And then the next year, those two are still really high, but your distemper has dipped down to what they would say is a really weak level. I personally wouldn't be too worried. One, as long as the dog is staying in that area they've always stayed in and you're not just decamping down to Birmingham to go to Crusts or something like that. Um, but you've got to have the experience and the, the follow-through. So some people say, why do you take a vaccine check every year? It is not about just trying to get the money out of you guys, honest. It is about looking at that movie camera of how your dog's immune system is performing so that we can make an informed choice about your biosecurity going forward, you know, and what your relative choices should be and how you might manage your dog rather than just saying, well, it's low, what do you do, yeah. vaccinate? I don't ever want to be caught saying that to an owner as their only choice is to vaccinate. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's a lot of vets out there that read as soon as it's low, you vaccinate. Yeah. And that's not that's, what we're that, Listen, that, uh, that was brilliant. Um, so do we know what we're doing next week? We had a plan, but I don't think we should talk about our plan yet. So just in case we don't, we're not ready for next week. Dick's skipping the country, so he can't do next ah. week. We'll be flying off on a magic carpet to a place that makes magic carpets, actually. So well, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, nice. So, uh, but the week after, so next week is just you guys. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. Sorry, everybody. Week after, let me know, and I'll be here to yeah. chat. We can do thyroid if you fancy. Yeah, thyroid could be good. We could save it for you until you come back. I know you like a bit of us. Uh, so we'll think about when we'll announce it during the next couple of days, Brian, won't we? On, okay. uh, on, uh, yeah, the yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, have a look through the Patreon requests. Great. Okay, guys, that was great. Appreciate all that. Appreciate your time. As yeah, always, so join us on Patreon if you want some more answers. Um, there's yeah. so many questions come up. There's uh, some great ones on feeding pregnant bitches and uh, lactating bitches. I'm going to try and answer those individually. We'll have a little chat about that amongst ourselves. 
We should do um, that live. And, we should talk about you know, that live. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a really great one. Maybe we do that next week. Yeah, maybe do um, that next week, reproducing. So, readers out there asking constantly about what to uh, talk about. Yeah. That show. Maybe always, that's where we go. I think that's where we should do that. Because I'm always a little bit scared when somebody introduced themselves as a top reader and, like, you know, all these kind of accreditations. And I want your advice on feeding my pup. And you're like, oh, God. You know, it's always a little bit of squeaky bum time because, like, this is getting into, you know, you know, it's just the higher end of things. It's right. always weird. Well, never, never. coming. Let's talk about puppies. It's marvellous. Let's talk about and puppies. Kids. Yeah. And kids. Yeah. Chocolate, chocolate puppies. No? Chocolate puppies yeah. Easter. <laughs> What's the story with that? Well, how did chocolate eggs come into Easter? Oh, so, though, to celebrate <laughs> puppies. There's a, there's there's a whole Easter. life there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A giant rabbit hops into your room and lays chocolate eggs in tinfoil. I mean, what sort of weird... Christian, bloody hell. I'm one of them. I don't even don't even know what's going on. So listen, uh, guys, let's do reproducing bitches next week. That sounds good. Yeah, okay. Nice. Try your next week. All right. Take care. Okay. Good, good to see lad. you all. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you, Talk to you soon. Bye bye. You. You. <laughs>